Hi, friends, and welcome. I want you to meet a couple of friends that are going to be helping us read scripture this morning. My name is Owen, and I'm nine years old. Hi, I'm Callista. I'm eight years old. Hi, my name is Kenny, and I'm eight years old. Hi, my name is Lenny, and I am 12 years old. Hi, my name is Lucy, and I'm seven years old. Listen for a word from God in Matthew chapter 6. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The Word of God. Thanks Thanks be to to God. Thank you, La Sierra kids. To hear your voices and see your faces, this brings focus to why it matters what we say about the Bible. You are here and you are hearing. So, in the earliest days, the Lord's Prayer, it was actually a school assignment of sorts. The Lord's Prayer was for the ritual of baptism. You studied the prayer before you prayed the prayer, so that when you came up and out of the water of baptisms, you were ready to pray the prayer with intention and understanding. You didn't actually pray the prayer until you studied the prayer. The value of this is coming clear to me the further we move into the Lord's Prayer. Rattling off a prayer from memory, that's one option. Every prayer my father prayed began with these words, Our Father which art in heaven. I know these words first because every prayer my father prayed began with the same introduction, Our Father which art in heaven. Whatever else came after that, your guess is as good as mine because my dad prayed rapidly and he ran all of his words together, picking up the pace as fast as possible. Maybe we heard the words, thank you. Maybe we heard the word safety. Maybe we heard the word bless. He spoke so rapidly by by the closing of every prayer, we have no idea what he was saying. The prayer began with, Our Father which art in heaven, and it ended with, To this day, to this day, if you put my sisters, my brother and I together in one conversation, we cannot tell you the ending of his prayer. We know the prayer ended, and we know the intonation and the volume. Maybe his final sentence was, This is a trick you children will never translate. I mean, we simply don't know. We can rattle off memorized prayers, and then sometimes we come to a prayer that will ask more of us. The further we get into this prayer, the Lord's Prayer from Matthew 6, the deeper the invitation to become the prayer. Are we praying for God's intervention? Is God praying for our collaboration? Keep this question alive these next three weeks. The opening sentence of our prayer, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We, we studied this the past two weeks. If we missed you, pick up the conversation on our website, lasierra.church, or on the YouTube channel. We're on week four now, and I've suggested we take out a journal, do our own personal work with this prayer. Let the prayer do its work on you and me. Rewrite it, rephrase it in your own words. Circle the words that you're drawn to, phrases that trouble you. After last week on the idea of addressing God as Father, I heard from several, several of us Some were grateful to imagine a different metaphor for God, and others who said, no offense, but heavenly parent, that doesn't quite sound right. This is why we are pausing on the prayer, the prayer of us all, which means there's many experiences around the table, and they're all valid. 
Remember that it's a beautifully crafted prayer. It's well organized so that when we're ready to study, it, it falls into place, seriously. After the introduction, our Father who is in heaven, the prayer unfolds into two separate groups of petition. Three petitions that address the needs of God and three petitions that address the needs for us. The petitions are not polite requests. We talked about this last week. Please do these things if it's pleasing to you, God. N no, please let your kingdom come if it's all right. If you see fit, I'd like some bread if it's okay with you. That's not the way these petitions are phrases. They're, they're, they're not phrased that way. They're, they're imperatives, they're commands. We called them bossy verbs last week, the kinds we try not to use ordering people around. They're assertive and demanding. Why does Jesus teach us to take this tone in our shared prayer with each other and our prayer with our Creator? Here's the petition we'll study today, the last petition of the first half of, the, of this prayer concerning God and God's needs. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Which of these words has your attention? And remember, we have options, by the way, when we're watching online. Wherever you're watching, you can drop a comment in the comment section and interact with each other. This is a feature I've been waiting for for years, actually, while we're in church. While I'm speaking, if we could all be interacting with each other on the topic, how great would that be? We can actually do it now. Which of these words gets your attention? Which of the words trouble you and cause you to shake your head or wonder? I'm gonna get my thought out early today. I am convinced we're in the most significant part of the prayer. Like the spine of a book, the binding on the book that holds it in place, that there is so much in this petition that I've been like a kid in a candy shop this last week trying to limit my choices with this particular petition. Each of these words trigger old stories. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So shall we spend our time talking about kingdoms? Even though Jesus teaches us to address God as parent, he, he goes on to set up this kingdom analogy because people know about kingdoms, which necessarily have kings. Jesus summons their entire history, their history with the pharaohs who rule over slaves, or when the nation of Israel is free, but they long for a king and a kingdom like their neighbors have, or Saul and David and Solomon and they're empty still, and the prophets shout out loud with them, how's this working out for you? The nation of Israel, they long for a Messiah then. Isaiah chapters 40 through 55, it's a poem. The entire poem is about a longing for a Messiah, a ruler, a prince to come. So with the kingdom language, Jesus activates all of this history, and, and the disciples can also look around and see Tiberius and Herod and Pilate and the ones who execute the business of Rome? The strangest bit of new news could be when Jesus is actually introduced out in the wilderness by John the Baptist at the beginning of Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter uh, 3, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. John says this about Jesus. The kingdom of heaven is walking and moving in the neighborhood. The kingdom of heaven is a person? Is Jesus the new king? the new neighborhood, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. This will be a constant refrain in Jesus's message. We've talked about this a lot. It's the song that never ends. It goes on and on, my friends. Jesus never defines this kingdom. He simply keeps talking about it. He tells stories about this kingdom. 
Whatever this kingdom, it's not like anything they've seen. Whatever this kingdom, Jesus insists it's starting, it's a startling difference to anything else they've experienced. When the mother of James and John asks Jesus to give her two sons important seats next to Jesus in Jesus' discipleship movement, when he, she says, let them sit close to you, let them have seats of importance, Jesus scolds her, he scolds the disciples. You want to be great in this kingdom? We'll learn to serve. We'll not be like the lords, those who hold power over people in this world. It'll not be that way among all of you. Does everybody hear me? Jesus scolds the disciples. We could spend all of our time this morning on the idea of kingdom and kings. We could spend time on the idea of the kingdom coming and arriving and being present. For 500 years before Jesus, honest prayers were prayed for the arrival of a ruler and a reign that represented God. Everyone knows by looking at their own lives that the kingdom cannot possibly be present right now. This is it. This is as good as it gets. We could spend time talking about when will the kingdom come and arrive and be present. Maybe we could spend time on the most difficult part of the prayer, thy will be done, because I, I don't have a kingdom and I'm not a ruler, but I do have a will and so do you. We all have wills, right? Usually my will means I get my own way. Am I speaking truth, church? We like to say our children have wills and our children like to say their parents have wills. When there's a will, there's a way. Here's a math teacher that's had my attention recently. Nothing can deter this one from voting. Beatrice, Beatrice Lumpkin of Chicago says, neither rain nor wind nor COVID-19 will stop her from casting a vote. She's dressed in what she hoped is full plague protective gear, including a face shield designed by her grandson. And so with confidence, she dropped her, her vote in the ballot. Her first election was to vote for Franklin Delano Roosevelt 80 years ago. She's not missing an election at 103 because where there's a will, there's a way. Usually when we talk about our will, we mean perseverance and grit and ingenuity or even sleeplessness. It simply means get it done. What is God's will anyhow then? And how is it different from human will and human grit? And, and what happens when humans confuse the two? Beware of people who cannot tell God's will from their own, Barbara Brown Taylor reminds us. Hey, we have our own witness from history, so many of them. In the 11th century, it's the Christian church with charges of God will it. And the crusaders are off with spears and swords in their hands. It was the leader of the church in the 11th century who rallied crusaders to ride into Jerusalem with spears and swords and slaughter. Western Jews and Eastern Muslims. It's the will of God, the will of God. God will it, they chanted. We've just come through a holiday, a national holiday in our country. Indigenous Peoples Day is the new language we're learning as we look to tell the more honest history about what happened to native people groups when explorers came to this land and claimed grand discoveries of their own. What happens when humans hold will over one another? This clouds our understanding of God's will and God's use of God's will. Shall we spend more time talking about God's will? We could also spend all of our time talking about earth and heaven. Earth and heaven. 
in the original language on earth as it is in heaven, in the original language it actually says, as in heaven, so on earth. Whatever is happening in the heavens, whatever heaven's process or heaven's program or heaven's agenda, whatever is heaven's energy, make that present on earth now, as in heaven, so on earth. Are we praying God save souls for heaven later? Or when we pray this prayer, are we praying to bring heaven to earth soon and now? There's a lot of information on this one idea, so much so, pitting earth against heaven, these two realms that are enemies or the antithesis one of the other. We have to remember somehow that <laughs> while these two realms seem to be fueling and engaging in conflict, the earth is not disowned by God. God's kingdom is not of this world, but it is absolutely for this world. It is indeed the same world God created and so loves. It's this very place that is redeemed at the end of our story, Revelation 21. It's not a script of being evacuated to some heaven. It's a scene of heaven permeating earth at last. The New Testament, it insists again and again that this is not about saved souls going to heaven and leaving earth behind forever. As in heaven, so on earth. So our prayer is not really a going to their heaven, it's a coming to here heaven. And we're not praying for a future heaven, but a present earth. And is everyone okay? I can't see your faces right now. And this is a difficult part of the prayer because we're usually taught this the other way around. If I could see your faces, are we okay? Drop a comment in the sections where you're watching, remember. This is not a going to their heaven, it's a coming to hear heaven. Maybe we need to sharpen our story, church. There is absolutely a reunion of God's earth and God's heaven. In Ephesians chapter 1, the author will talk about it as God's plan to sum up things in heaven and on earth in the Messiah. We need to sharpen the story. Sharpen the story. So what part of the petition needs our attention most? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven, or as it is in heaven, on earth. Notice the duplication and the repetition and the replication and how these ideas all go together and they build towards a crescendo. It, actually, we can't separate these words one from the other. They build in such a way that we, it's so clear that the agendas of heaven will be present on earth and the agendas of heaven belong completely to God. This is perhaps what I'd love for us to remember most about the petition. When we talk about the will of God, it's nothing other than talking about God, God's character and God's identity and God's reputation, God's plans and dreams. Because I think our experience with the will of God in this world is a, a little more like a shoulder shrug or a resignation. We, we resign ourselves. We, we pray for all things and all the things in our life, and then we add the phrase, if it be your will. We pray for what we believe we need, what we think is best, and then we add that line, if it be your will. Or we look around the world and we say, if it's happening, it must be God's will. And then we scurry to provide explanations of how God will bring meaning and purpose out of horror. If you are struggling at home, it must be God's will. If you're consumed by addiction, it must be God's will. 
If your finances are crippling your family or keeping you from school, it must be God's will. If you got a diagnosis, it must be God's will. If there are furious fires and a pandemic that will not die, it must be God's will. And then we get busy trying to explain what we mean by this. If it's happening in our world, it must be God's will. And then we look for more signs of the times to warn us when Jesus told us to stop it. Jesus said, you have everything you need to know. Stop looking at the skies and the land and each other. Stop wondering if you should escalate your anxiety. You will not know more than you already know. You have everything you need to know. I came, I lived, I died, I rose. The kingdom is already at hand. And the rest, the rest, God is sovereign over the rest. If you feel you need help in this area of thinking everything that's happening in your life is God's will, pick up Kate Bowler's book from a couple of years ago, Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies I've Loved or pick up the two small new volumes from N.T. Wright and Walter Brueggemann, short reflections regarding a Christian response to a global pandemic. It turns out it's not our job to explain what's happening in the world and why. In fact, it's part of the Christian vocation not to be able to explain and to lament instead. Jesus did this so very often in front of Lazarus and Mary and Martha, no grand explanation for what this suffering means, simply tears that it happens. The safest place to be, friends, is with God. Think of the safest place to be in your life. Where are your safe places? Not, not your happy places and not your escaping places and not kind of the not kind of the fun spaces. Where are your safest places to be? The safest place I could be in first grade was in the shadow of a sequence skirt that swooshed all around me. Her hair was beautiful, first Japanese woman I ever met, and it was, it was expected that every six-year-old would learn how to pronounce Arakawa. The safest place to be was with my first grade teacher, Mrs. Arakawa. Or when I was a little bit older, the safest place to be, frankly, was on the playground. The kingdom of bullies on the playground. It was the safest place for me as long as my brother was within earshot. Magic. Safest place to be. I think of another scene with my mother standing in the middle of the kitchen with a wooden spoon in her hand and the man from the Portland Utilities Department. When she swore at him, she swore at him and she told him to get out, get out. You will not talk to me that way. He was condescending and rude. And the safest, play, safest place for a little girl that day was in the shadow of a mother with a wooden spoon telling a man, stop. The safest places to be, what are those in your life? Drop a comment in the thread as we're talking to each other today. Safest place to be in the delivery room as I gave birth to our firstborn child. At one point, I told my spouse, 20, 20 hours in, I looked at him and said, I, I, I can't do more. I can't do more. I need help now. And he moved heaven and earth. There is a place you don't want to be in front of Kirby Clyde Oberg if his family is in pain. The safest place to be that day was to be the spouse of Kirby Oberg. Where are your safe spaces? 
Because when we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so on earth, we are praying the safest prayer we can pray. God, for God to bring this about, God cannot abandon God's goodness to bring about a kingdom of goodness. God can't abandon peace to bring about a kingdom of peace. God can't abandon justice to bring about a kingdom of justice. God won't abandon equity to bring a kingdom of equity, and He won't abandon mercy to bring a kingdom of mercy. God can't abandon compassion, generosity to bring a kingdom, a reality of compassion and generosity. So when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we're not convincing ourselves we can get through this. We are actually announcing and reminding ourselves God will get through this. God will not give up. God will not relent. God will not tire. God will not quit until God has arrived at God's good intentions surround us. There is a holy purpose at work. The holy purpose is steadfast and relentless. All God's creation, that all of God's creation will come to a place of well-being. This is why we pray at the church and say at the church, be well, because there's a holy movement making this happen. The task of the church now is to pray this prayer with full confidence, not that we'll get through, but that God will. Amen.